And if you want to see heaven and see the Lord in heaven, you must answer the question which was raised by the song that Flossie and Annette sang for you. It is the question, who is Jesus Christ? Very simple question. But in a relativistic day when everybody is right, I'm not sure that we have properly emphasized to our young people before we sent them out into this relativistic world. I'm not sure that we have given them enough understanding of who Jesus Christ is, that they can be strong in this kind of a world. So I want to begin a series of messages that will take us for a couple of months on why believe. Why believe? And today I want to take a question which you've heard and I've heard, and which underneath is asked by society almost everywhere. Is Jesus Christ the only way to God? Is Jesus Christ the only way to God? First, I want to answer the question of the world, but secondly, I want to enable Christians to answer that when an individual raises that issue to you. Can I share with you some of the things I've heard in my witnessing in the last two or three years? Don't all religions lead to the same God? There is good in all religions. There is truth in all religions. How can you say that you are right and everybody else is wrong? Doesn't all truth lead to the same God? If you can't answer those questions, you better listen carefully. Is Jesus Christ the only way to God? I want to give you about five important statements from the Scripture regarding this subject. And the first requires that we turn to John chapter 14 and verse 6. The first thing I want to say in answer to the question which the world raises is that there is no indication in the Bible that anyone can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. No one can be saved apart from Christ. Here in this passage, there is a fascinating story going on beginning in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, isn't that interesting? It is Thomas the doubter who raises this question, who says, now, wait, 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 now, what are you saying, Master? We do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? How can we know the way? What is the way? What is the way to life? What is the way to God? What is the way to redemption? And Jesus said to him, and there were seven great I am's in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, and so forth. This is one of those seven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, if Jesus had stopped there, it would have left us to ponder, does he mean I am a way, or does he mean I am the exclusive way? But you see, Jesus doesn't pause there. He goes right on. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in response to Thomas's question, 
Jesus lays down a very striking answer. By the way, don't ever be afraid to ask questions. Thomas wasn't, and because Thomas was not afraid to ask questions, we got one of the most insightful statements from Christ that we ever got. And that is, I am the way. Now, to a good Jew, he knew exactly what Jesus meant. The way of God was the way to God. That's why Moses said, Lord, show me your, what did he say, class, remember? Show me your ways. And Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus said, I not only speak truth, I am truth. I am truth. I am the embodiment of truth. It's one thing to say, he speaks truth. Or he loves, but it's quite another to say, he is love. <laughs> or uh, Jesus added, I am the life. I think, frankly, when he says, I am the life, in opposition to death, I am life. I am everything about me points to living and life. And everything opposite of me points to death. And I think he is life because he is truth and way. And the first two lead you to the third conclusion. Notice he is speaking in a personal sense about a personal relationship. I will walk with you and show you the way. I will walk with you and show you truth as opposed to lies. I will walk with you and show you life instead of death because I will conquer it. And then he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. That is a strong statement. Now, either Jesus meant exactly what he said, nobody can get to the Father but by me, or he is, uh, as C.S. Lewis said, uh, he puts himself on the level of a man who is a poached egg. He's a megalomaniac. In fact, I read one New Testament writer who said, once Peter confessed that he was the Christ. From that point on, Jesus lost all of his marbles, and he was, in fact, insane with himself. This is a theological writer. But for us who are Christians, we have to take at face value, no one can come to the Father except through me. And that has never, never been revoked. Amen? But you say, what about the sincere Muslim? What about the sincere Buddhist? What about the sincere Hindu? Now, I want, to, I want you to keep those questions in your mind and turn to Acts chapter 4. Now, in Acts 4, Peter and John, Peter has just healed a cripple at the gate to the temple. And uh, the men are asking him, how did you do this? By what authority? Look at verse 7. When they had set them down in the midst of the Sanhedrin, the 71, nearly all of whom were Sadducees, by the way, when they set them down in the midst, they asked, Acts 4, 7, by what power or by what name have you done this? Tell me your authority. Where did this come from? How did you perform this miracle? How did you make this crippled man walk? Tell us by what power or what name. Now, that's very important. Underline name. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are this day judged for a good deed done to this poor old crippled man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Now he nails it historically. Whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, let it be known we healed this man by his name, the name of Jesus, the authority, the power, everything about Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit led him to make a statement, which is in nowhere ever in contradiction of anything Jesus said. But he says in verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other. Now, he makes an exclusive statement. You can't be saved by any other. I didn't say that. Don't, don't be angry at me. <laughs> I didn't make that statement. Peter made that statement, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now you can conclude that we must be saved and you can conclude that, that the power of Christ to save is from heaven and there is no other name ever spoken that can do for you what Jesus can do. So it's very important that we understand there is no indication in the Bible that anyone can be saved ever apart from Christ. Some men were saved by looking forward to Christ, as in the Old Testament. Some of us are saved looking backwards to Christ because he died 2,000 years ago, right? But we're saved by faith in him. Now, the second thing I want to say is this. Every man has enough information from creation to know that God exists. Every man and woman has enough information from the created world to know that God exists. Now, that's kindly stated in a number of places, but let me give you two of them. The first is in Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, let's go to a pre-Christian time. The Old Testament is the New Testament uh, uh, hidden. And Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, gives you a message, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And the voice of creation speaks to every punta, every ethnic group, every, every nation, every culture, every tribe in the world has seen God in nature and sees day after day and night after night and has the knowledge of God that they get from creation. You say, well, what knowledge can you get from watching creation. Well, there was an Aztec Indian god by the name of Hirakova, who in the 1400s got up every day and worshipped the sun. And he would worship at his sundial. And one day he said, you know, this sun does the same thing every day. This sun does the same thing. If the sun does the same thing every... Now, remember what Psalm 19 said. Day unto day does what? Utters speech, gives off a message. 
and night after night does what, class? Remember? Reveals knowledge. And Virakova said, oh, my goodness. This sun can't be God because the sun does the same thing every day. It must serve somebody else. There's got to be a God bigger than the sun. <laughs> and from creation, he figured out there was a God who was in control of the sun, and the sun was a servant of that God, and the sun did the same thing every day. Lots of things you can discover from creation. But let me give you two, thing, two statements that relate to this. We don't have time for more. One is, truth is established by creation. The very fact that the sun comes up every day establishes something about God. As Virakova said, it establishes the sun as its servant. There's something larger than the sun, and it establishes regularity. It establishes truth about a day. We don't have, uh, you don't have uh, one day that's 48 hours and the next day that's, that's uh, uh, 21 hours. <laughs> you don't have to, well, I wonder how long this, the very fact that you wear a watch tells you that you've learned something from creation. You don't have to wonder every day, well, let's see, I wonder how long I, this day will be. Maybe this day will be 61 hours. See, and, and the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and, and it establishes truth. Nature establishes truth. God's creation establishes truth. And that's one of the truths it establishes. Now, in our day, there are two basic ideas about God. One idea is that God is above good and evil. In fact, he is... He is above good and evil, and he is in the world, and uh, the world animates him, sort of like I have a body, and my body animates me, and when my body is gone, I'm gone. <laughs> as long as I got a body, you can hear me, right? Can you hear me? And uh, that is uh, that idea that God is, is in this universe is uh, pantheism or New Age, and it is Eastern, and it is the, anything that relates to that idea that God is his own creation. You want to divide right there. Divide right there. That's one concept of God. The other concept of God that's held by Jewish people, Christians, Muslims, is that God is God and above his creation, but he is a good God and a righteous God and can do no good. I mean, can do no evil. So that God is established, you've got to establish him as greater than his creation. Now, some laws we can see in creation are permanent laws. They never change. Thursday morning at 10.30 this week, a TWA plane came into the St. Louis airport. And when the pilot pushed the button to drop his landing gear, the door came off of the landing gear. It weighed 120 pounds. And a man was driving down a freeway and saw this thing flying like a kite through the air and came to the ground and went smack right in the middle of a freeway. And he pulled over, he worked for the forestry department of St. Louis and pulled the 120-pound door off the road because it would cause an accident. And then they sent an FAA team out to investigate. <laughs> and uh, uh, this past Thursday, and sa aviation safety expert Chuck Miller said this. I, I thought this was fascinating. He said, listen, there's one law that keeps appearing in all aviation accidents. 
and it's called gravity. <laughs> Never changes. I said, yes! Where do you think gravity came from? And everybody who has ever been born into the world knows that there's a law of gravity. It's established. You can observe it. And by deduction, you understand there has to be something behind that law making it work. That's what the Bible means when it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Some things we vote on and some things you don't have any vote on. Amen? Did you read where this 26-year-old girl who was the first B-52 pilot, she flew B-52s at age 24, has now been court-martialed for adultery? and may go to jail for seven years for lying to her superiors and saying she didn't have an affair when she did? You know, I mean, this is, a, and this, is this a great country or what, huh? I mean, we can't put the, the Ten Commandments in our schools, but we can fire a pilot for adultery, for violating the Ten Commandments, and put her in jail, as a matter of fact. Now, I'm not trying to condone what she did. I just want to make my point. There are some laws we vote on, and there are some laws that are always right and wrong, and you don't have any vote. Amen? You can vote on whether you ought to litter or not, but you're not going to vote in the law of gravity. See, and that's what the Bible means when it says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. You know something else established by creation? It's what I call the law of negative contradiction. You can't affirm two opposites at the same time. See? You can't say that's falling and say that's going up and both, both statements be true. Nature tells you that. So if Jesus said, I am the only way, and somebody else says, I am the only way, they both cannot be right. Nature teaches us that. The law of negative contradictions will not allow you to make a statement of two opposites. Neither sincerity of faith nor intensity of faith can create truth. I don't care how much you believe it. I don't care how sincere or how intense. Believing doesn't make anything true. A man has a right to believe something false is true, but his believing doesn't make it true. Amen? Refusing to believe doesn't make something false. Just because you deny Jesus doesn't make him false. We have to make a distinction between truth and opinion or perspective. So we come to the question, who is Jesus Christ? And the Christian Bible says he is God. And the Islam scriptures say he is a prophet. Is he God or is he a prophet? You say, well, isn't that terribly bigoted of you? <laughs> No, I don't think it's bigger than... I can respect somebody else's right to believe, amen? I can respect that, and I do respect that. But that doesn't shame me into changing the rules of the game by which I follow Jesus Christ. It's very important for, me to for you and for me to understand this. I can respect others' beliefs and still cling to my own distinctive belief because Jesus said, I am the only way to God. Now, there's an emotional side to all of this. Christians are not just being bigoted. It's an emotional issue for us. If Jesus said it, I have to believe it. And if Jesus said it, you have to believe it. 
And if Jesus said it and you believe it, then I've got to stand on that. Now, that, that doesn't make me a bigot. It just makes me a man of conviction. As long as I can respect your right to believe what you want. But you cannot, you have no right, I have no right to redefine Christianity on my terms and change the rules to fit the way I believe it, and neither does anybody else. And if Jesus Christ is God, then you're faced with a decision. You either have to acknowledge the truth or deny the truth. And this is extremely important for all young people to understand. The third thing I would like to say is that God is just. Aren't you glad God is a fair God? God is just. No person will be condemned for rejecting Christ who has never heard of Christ. No person will be... God will have a just basis for judging every single person who ever lives. Now, go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1. And in Romans, chapter 1, Paul says that... Um, in verse 19, what may be known of God is manifest in men, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, like his laws, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they all men are without excuse. Because though they knew God from creation, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans chapter 2. Paul deals with the same issue in verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things contained in the law, these, although not having the law, the law of the Old Testament, are a law to themselves. They show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So it's very plain here. If a man has never heard of Christ, God is just and God is fair, and God will judge him based upon his own standard. Everybody has the light of Christ in creation, the light of God. And everybody has the light of God in the conscience because we're made in the image of God. Because I am shaped like God, I've got a moral policeman that lives right in here and says, you did good or you did bad. <laughs> Anybody here have your conscience talked to you yet this morning? Conscience, has your conscience had a conversation with you? Well, hang on, it will. Before the day is over, your conscience will have a conversation with you. Your conscience is that inside you which accuses or excuses. And uh, if you were raised by parents who always accuse you, you're no good, you're bad, nobody ever want to marry you. If you're raised by that kind of parent, then you'll, be, you'll have an accusing conscience when you get older. And your conscience is more trained to accuse. But if you're raised by parents who always excuse, poor little Freddie, did you get in another fight? Those mean boys at school are always picking on you. I know my boy couldn't do anything wrong. And that's the parent that always excuses. So that parent trains the child to always make excuses for himself. But Paul's point is that when we, for people who've never heard the law, the truth of God, 
they show or reflect the work of the law written in their hearts because we're moral creatures made in the image of a moral God. And, and, and that's proven by our conscience, which accuses and excuses us. And that's the standard by which God will... He'll have a proper basis for judging everybody. And it will be a just judgment. And it will be fair. Men will be condemned for rejecting their own moral standard. But they cannot be saved without Christ. Well, then you say, isn't there a dilemma there? Well, let's move on. The fourth thing I want to say is this. Is Christ the only way to God? Yes. The fourth thing is, if we respond to the light we have received, God will get sufficient truth to us. He'll find a way to do it. Jeremiah 29, 13. They shall find me if they search for me with what? All their heart. I want you to, to turn on while you're in the book of Romans to Romans chapter 3 and see what God did. So in Romans 3.20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. So in chapter 1, we have the light of creation. In chapter 2, we have the light of conscience. Chapter 3, we have the light of Christ. And Paul says that the law was to bring us so that God could reveal Christ to us. It was to lead us up to that. If we respond to the light God gives us, he gives us the full light of Christ. In the biography of David Livingston, he felt a burden to go to this particular tribe. He took a party going on the path to get to that tribe. They had all kinds of opposition. Two of their guides were, were drowned in a swim across a river. Another one was attacked by a wild animal and lost. And Dr. Livingston thought he would never get to this tribe. And as he was coming down the trail, finally to the tribe, his battered mission still intact, a man from the tribe came and fell at his feet and said, we've heard of a white man's God who died on a tree, and, and we've, we decided we'll strike out on our own and try to find out who this God was. And the tribe who was responding to the light of God they had seen was now trying to get the gospel, and God had at the same time led David Livingston to take the gospel to that tribe. I believe if we respond to the light, when a man responds... To the light of God, the knowledge of God that he's gotten. God will look around and find a vessel. It may be a teenager in high school. It may be a neighbor. It may be somebody at work. That's why I think Christian witnessing is so important. You and I have no idea who around us in our network are responding to the truth of God. And God is looking for somebody who will take the rest of the message to them. That's why we must evangelize all the nations of the world. Why we do it. Now go one more time to Acts chapter 10. And let me show you in Acts 10 what happened. This man, Cornelius, is a Gentile. And he is a leader, a centurion of the Italian regiment, verse 1. But now watch verse 2. He is a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now, Cornelius did not earn his salvation. 
But what happened is, as a result of responding to the light he had, God sent an angel and said, go down and send to Peter. And down at Joppa, on the, the coast of, of, uh, of the Mediterranean, Peter is praying and God is saying, don't be afraid to witness the Gentiles. And then messengers come and take Peter back. And if you read the rest of chapter 10, you remember Peter preaches the gospel to them and the whole household is saved. <laughs> Boy, that to me is so important. Where is God working in people's lives to show them the light of himself? And he's looking for a messenger who will take the message. Not just give money. Not just pray, but go tell somebody about Christ. And see, I believe if we respond to the light we have received, God will find a messenger. He'll find a way to get light to that person and get the truth to that person so that person can be saved. So that God will always have a just basis for judging men and women. God is not an unfair God. Count on it. Now, the fifth thing I would say to you is that certain judgment awaits the one who has heard the message of Christ and rejected him. I'm far more concerned about the one who has heard and rejected than I, want, than I am about the one who has not heard. And it's very important. God's judgment is certain. You've heard the message of Christ. If you reject him, then the burden is yours. Turn to Matthew chapter 11 and note what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. He himself, the Messiah, had appeared to the, messages, to the uh, villages of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And in verse 20, he began to, Matthew eleven twenty, he began to upbraid the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And he said, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you, the miracles Jesus had performed, the message Jesus preached, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, two cities up along the Lebanese coast. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more, more tolerable, underline those words, more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. So there's, there must be degrees of judgment. So greater light rejected means greater judgment. That's what it means. And you, Capernaum, verse 23, who are exalted to heaven will be brought down to Hades, for the mighty works which were done in you have been done in Sodom. It would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. You saw the Messiah. You saw the miracles. You heard the message, and you still rejected. There is a certain judgment that awaits the one who has heard of Christ and has rejected him. I don't want any high school student, I don't want any high school senior to leave the family of this church and wonder where does this church stand on the issue of truth. I'm here to announce to you, I have never changed. I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe there is no salvation except under Christ. I believe other religions can motivate you morally to do good. I believe that many religions can motivate you morally to be good. But I do not believe that there is any name under heaven 
given among men whereby we must be saved except the name and the power of Jesus Christ. And we can have a confidence. And I want you young people to have confidence. That doesn't make you bigoted. A bigot is, is one who can't tolerate anybody else. I have to live in this world. You can read the Old Testament. Read your Sunday school lesson today and understand what is the responsibility towards the alien and the orphan and the, and the widow and the outsider. But, but, but we can tolerate others' beliefs. We have to respect other people's rights. But you don't have to promote their beliefs. And you don't have to agree with them. As a Christian, I have no choice but to follow Christ. And once I have answered the question, is Christ the only way to God, which he is, then I have to ask the question, is Christ the only way to live? And as Christians, we're forced to a very intense and demanding conclusion. And that is, you're a keeper of the message that has the key to life and the key to hope for the whole world. And you and I must tell it. And it also raises the question, who in your network of friends and family do you want to recommend MCI to? No. Who do you, in your network, do you need to tell about Jesus? You know, the idea of a network is not bad. Because the people that know me best are the ones who should know that Christ lives in me. And the people who know you best are the ones who should know that Christ lives in you. And that's where we start. If I come to an inescapable conclusion that no man can be saved without Christ, and I have received him, then I'm, a, I'm also faced with the inescapable conclusion that as the Lord of my life, I have a responsibility to follow him obediently as clearly and nearly as I can, and it's not an option to do what he commanded me to do. I want you to bow your head in prayer. Our Father in heaven, speak to each of us about this issue. Confirm in us again that Jesus Christ is our hope. And help us to rejoice that he is our hope. And while you're seated there in your place, how many of you have never, ever confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Would you come to God the only way you can come to God? Through Christ. And today in your heart, would you give Christ an opportunity to show you who he is right now? You sinned against God's law, but Christ is the perfect Savior who can save you because he is perfect. And to ask you to consider Jesus Christ carefully.